0: Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. All right, so we're going to start the series, The Call. And we're going to look at a guy and we'll get to him, but I want to introduce it this way. Ansel and I moved to Carlinville, Illinois in 1999, and some crazy phenomenon happened in 1999 in that area around St. Louis. See, in 1999, the St. Louis Rams had a quarterback named Trent Green. He eventually became a chief, as we know. He was an excellent quarterback, and the team was expected to do really well that year. In a preseason game, though, Trent Green got injured, and his season was over. That left the Rams with the great position of having a backup quarterback that had only thrown 11 passes in his whole career. He was undrafted coming out of college. He'd been cut once by the Green Bay Packers. A couple of times he got to spend some time uh, stocking shelves in a high V in Cedar Falls, Iowa. He had some success in the Arena League and NFL Europe, whatever that is. The Rams thought so much about this backup quarterback that during the 1999 expansion draft, he was one of only five players that they left unprotected. Meaning anyone, well, the expansion teams, could have taken him. The Rams figured their season had gone up in smoke. It was over. But this Rams backup quarterback played so well that in the first three games, he completed three touchdown passes in every game. The first and only NFL quarterback to ever do so. The fourth game, he threw five touchdown passes to give him 14 of the first four games of the season, and the Rams were off to a 4-0 and start. His breakout season was so unexpected that Sports Illustrated featured him on their cover in October with this caption. Who is this guy? Now, if you don't know who he is, his name is Kurt Warner. An incredible story and a great follower of Jesus. Well, we're talking about Kurt Warner at the moment. Because we are about to talk about a guy in the Old Testament that when he bursts on the scene, I have a feeling they said the same thing. Who is this guy? Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this guy that burst on the scene in Israel. In about the same way as Kurt Warner did. and Elijah burst on the scene in the 9th century B.C., during king Ahab's reign in Israel. And here's how we're introduced to him. And this is the first to read about him in the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 17 verse 1. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe Gilead, told king Ahab, "As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the god I serve there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word." That's it. Here he is on the scene dramatically without introduction. Elijah leaps into the arena. He and the royal couple had apparently never met. Without introduction, he appears before Ahab and Jezebel in Samaria. And with startling bravado, announced a drought. No personal credentials. No reasons for the drought. No conditions for mercy. He delivered his message and disappears. I'm guessing at that point, King Ahab is probably looking around like, wow, who is the crazy guy? Or as Sports Illustrated put it with Kurt Warner, who is this guy? I'm sure initially King Ahab just ignored Elijah's message. No reason to really pay attention. It's not like he had a history of prophetic ministry or correction. Ahab really didn't care. We really aren't told anything about Elijah's call to ministry. How was Elijah chosen? What credentials did he have? I'm sure God told him to deliver the message. But the Bible actually doesn't tell us that here. We'll see as we go along and we study Elijah a little bit, we'll hear that God spoke to him and gave him direction. So we can assume in this moment that God had given him direction as well. There is great significance to Elijah's message to Ahab. He basically states and simply stated, there will be no dew or rain until I give the word. You know, there's a lot of things in life, that I would like to be able to say, there's gonna be none of this or none of this until I give the word. Wouldn't you? I mean, that'd be pretty cool. Like, there'll be no whining until I give the word. Right? I mean, you, you would like that. But Elijah says, there'll be no dew, no rain until I give the word. And dew and rain were the two main sources. Of moisture in ancient Israel. The rains came regularly from October to March. The dew condensed on the mountains in the hot season. Sometimes as heavily as a a drizzle. Especially around the higher elevations of Jerusalem, Hebron and Bethel. To cut off both sources of moisture would mean an absolute drought of extreme proportions. And look, Ahab was serving this other god. His name was Baal. And Baal was supposed to be the god of fertility, the god of the storm, present in the dew and the rain. Drought was a direct challenge to this foreign god that Israel was serving through Ahab. So here you have Elijah taking a direct shot at Ahab and the god he was serving. Elijah, whose name means Yahweh is God, is attacking the god of Ahab. And as we know from Elijah's life, this won't be the only time that he attacks. We know from 1 Kings 16 that Ahab was a wicked king. 1 Kings 16.32 says, First, Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. How's that? Look, how do you want to go through life being that, known for that? I'm the worst of all we've had. I'm, you know, he's the seventh king of Israel, and he's the worst of them all. So Elijah goes toe-to-toe with him. Elijah made the pronouncement, and then leaves. He, he simply walks in, tells Ahab, no, no dew, no rain, till I give the word. And then he's given these instructions in verse 2 of 1 Kings 17. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you. For I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Careth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening. He drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. So Elijah delivered a severe message to Ahab. And then God tells him to go and hide. And the assumption is that once Ahab actually realizes that the crazy man was telling the truth, and it's actually not going to rain, and there's going to be no dew, and there's a drought now, that he would probably pursue Elijah. And God tells him to go hide. God also promises to meet his needs there. He tells him, You're gonna drink from that, I'm gonna give you food. Whenever we step out to do God's work, there is provision for it as well. God will supply our needs. Look, in Elijah's case, he was told to drink from the brook and eat the food that the ravens deliver. I don't know about you. But that's a pretty cool setup. How many of you wish breakfast and lunch and dinner even were delivered to you at your door? I mean, that's, that's a pretty good deal. If you, I mean, I know he's sleeping by a brook and all that, but, but this is the original home delivery, right? I mean, before Pizza Hut, before any of those places, Jimmy John's is good, but it looks to me like God's ravens are even better. God delivers food for Elijah because of his willingness to serve him. It raises a question for me,
1: and I want to ask you the question How much do we trust God?
0: How much do you trust God? Do you trust Him? To meet your needs? Do you trust him when he asks you to risk? I'm just thinking that it was a slight risk to go into Ahab and say, there's going to be no rain or dew until I give the word. I realize he's probably caught off guard a little bit, but we know that Ahab gets to a place where he pursues Elijah and wants to kill him. He may not tell you or I to go to the king And tell him it isn't going to rain until you say so. But when he's asking us to serve him, do we trust him? Do we trust him in the midst of our life right now? If you're in the midst of uncertainty, are you able to trust God in the middle of it? Or do you go overwhelmed by doubt? I recognize that each of us probably struggle at times with doubt. And we're going to see, even Elijah's life later on, we're going to see he struggles with doubt. But God is calling every one of us, and has called every one of us for a purpose, and we must discover it. Sometimes it's something specific. Sometimes it's delivering a message. Sometimes it's doing something very specific, like Pastor Jenna up here doing you know, kids ministry and make an announcement. She loves, I'm just telling you, she absolutely loves to be in here to speak in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) No, she actually doesn't. But she did a great job. But the point is that God calls us for something specific. What is he calling us to do? And other times, he calls us to do what every follower of Jesus is called to do. Influencing other people. To become followers and disciples of Jesus. See, Elijah trusted God in the midst of difficulty. Even when he was doing the things that God had asked him to do. God had told him to do exactly what he'd done. And he ends up having to go live by a brook and be fed by ravens. Now there's some cool part to that. but I don't know about you, but I really like my house and my bed. Sleeping by a brook fed by ravens, not so much. But yet God is going to ask us to do things that may be outside of our comfort zone that he is actually asking us to trust him in the midst of it. But here's another question. When was the last time you were in a position that you had to trust God for something? You had to trust God for something. As Americans, we tend to live life in a way that we don't need God to come through. We generally live too safe, too comfortable. I realize we're blessed to live in America. But at the same time, it might be a curse. Because it's easy for us to forget God. If, if you want an example of that, okay, it's, it's an easy example. Just think back to 9-11. Right after 9-11, church attendance went. Six months later, church attendance was back down here again. Because in crisis, we'll cry out to God. In good times, we tend to forget him. See, that's been typical in the history of man, not just the history of America. We we tend to forget God. We, We tend to not need him, so we forget about him. And that's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. The children of Israel forgot God. In fact, they forgot him so much that they allowed their king to lead them to serve another God called Baal. And Ahab did that. He forgot God. He didn't have space for the true God, but made space in his life for a false God. That's often the case for us as well. We can make a lot of things more important to us than God. Now, do we build an altar or a temple to them? Maybe not. But we do give a lot of our time, attention, and money to them. So the question is what are the things that are taking God's place in your life right now? I'm not suggesting that you're not a follower of Jesus. I'm just suggesting that all of us look at our lives and evaluate what is most important. Who or what are we worshiping? If we believe that we are the source of the good things in our lives... We're mistaken. If we think by our work we are accomplishing something without God, we're no better than the people of Israel under King Ahab. God went to great lengths to get them to realize they were worshiping the wrong God. And if it wasn't enough of a rebuke for the people of Israel that there be no rain, we read the next instructions that God gave to Elijah in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, "Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you." Here's a widow in Zarephath near Sidon. I realize that that's probably not like right up there on your geography, right? You know exactly where it is, but it's over on the coast. Well, what's important is it's not in Israel. God sends Elijah to a widow who shouldn't have the faith and trust in God, but does. The people of Israel should be listening and trusting God, but it is a Gentile widow that Elijah is sent to. So verse 10 goes on. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water and a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her. Bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord, your God, that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I only have a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of a jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. Then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. But make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Here's a woman who shouldn't have the faith, but she trusts Elijah, and ultimately God, who spoke to her to start with. Look, it's important to understand that, 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 that God spoke to her first, and then Elijah speaks to her. It's an important principle here. God will speak to us if he wants us to do something. But it can be confirmed by others. Can, can you imagine the woman's response to God? Because he, she's already heard God speak to her. That she's to feed this prophet guy, Elijah, that's coming. But she doesn't know how. Because even when Elijah's speaking to her, she she says to him, I was just going to make this last meal. And then we're going to die. That's a hopeless situation.
1: That's a hopeless moment. When he gets there, he asks her for the water and the bread. And now the crisis is there.
0: What is she going to do? Is she she going to listen to God? Is she going to trust him? With with the last that she has, is she she going to trust him? Or is she going to say no? Her life depends on it. I mean, literally, her life depends on her obedience. Her life depends on whether she's willing to trust God at that moment. Is she willing to bake something for the prophet first or not? See, I think, and I'm pretty confident the Scriptures bear this out, if she does not do what Elijah asked, if she does not do what God has asked her to do, she will not experience the miracle. And then there's obedience in order to see the miracle. There is actually the act of obedience to make his bread and then go cook her meal. And it's in that moment that there's this miracle that takes place and God's provision is displayed to her because of her obedience to God. But I also want you to understand something. Her miracle was not just for her. See, her miracle was for her family and for Elijah. Look, the miracle that God does in your life isn't just for you. The miracle that God does in you and for you is for others around you to experience it as well. Now, you may get healed, but that miracle isn't just for you. It's for those around you. He's healing you, not just so you're healed. He's healing you so that you can impact others. He's healing you because you bring something to other people's lives. When he does a miracle, when God does something in us, when he does a miracle in our lives, it is not just for us. It's for others as well.
1: And in her case, if she doesn't listen, if she doesn't obey, there is no miracle. She cooks her last meal
0: and her and her son die. God will provide for, for Elijah another way. But her and her son would die. But she's obedient. She trusts, and she doesn't.
1: There, there is a ton more that we can learn from the widow in Zarephath. And you can read on on your own. I want you to think about this.
0: From, from, from Elijah's life here, from just this first introductory piece, just because God asks you to do something doesn't
1: mean It's going to be easy. In 1996,
0: Angela and I were moving. And we moved knowing that God had spoken to us and had directed us to a specific place in a specific moment. We, We moved to Pekin, Illinois. We went there for youth ministry. And there were many days when we would come home On a Wednesday night with students,
1: Uh, often, 100 students in a room, absolute chaos sometimes. And you go home and you say, Is God doing anything in these kids' lives? Am I getting through? God, would you help us out here
0: On one occasion, a student said to me, "I want to throw a pie in your face." That wasn't so bad until he followed it up with, with rocks in it.
1: It was a few weeks later, that
0: same student brought a gun. Wednesday night. I, I didn't know until he was arrested the next day at school because of all the bragging he had done about the son. I'll never forget his name. <laughs> there were moments in those times where you know that God, see, God had specifically confirmed, he, he had told us we were, we were We were moving in the right place. We knew exactly where we were going. We we sensed his direction, his plan. We knew that God had put us there. It was far from easy. In fact, there were days that you'd just rather have some teeth
1: pulled. In a few weeks, one of the former students from there is going to be in Kansas City.
0: And my hope is that we get to connect up. He was a kid who wasn't raised in the church. who came just because of the youth ministry, where it was, location, all those things. He had a youth center. It was in downtown Pekin. Now, downtown Pekin is like a little misnomer. It's a town of 32,000. But it was an old Glidden paint store, glass on all sides, and it was pretty cool. But
1: there's one young man who came to faith. I don't know that God moved us there just for him.
0: But boy, am I glad there are people who came to faith in that time. Because there are moments in that, and I'm sure Elijah faces, I'm sure Elijah went through some moments where he's like, Because he does. We know he does. Later in his life, we know he struggles. He's like, God, are you here? What is the deal? I just want to die. When you go through those moments, you have to trust God in the middle of them. Look, here's a question for you. On a scale of one to ten, one being little trust, ten being complete trust. What is your level of trust in God? What's your level of trust in God? Here's another one using the same scale. How obedient are you to God's commands? How obedient are you to God's commands? Using that same scale, 1 to 10, what is your level of obedience to God? What does God want you to be obedient to? His word? You don't need to have God speak to you directly, audibly like Elijah did. He's speaking to you from his word. He speaks to me from his word. How obedient are we?
1: His word.
0: Maybe you're here today and you say your level of trust in God is one, maybe zero. A life of trust in God starts with a simple decision of telling Jesus. You want to trust him and follow him. For those of us that have been followers of Jesus for a while, you will go through moments in your life when you feel like your trust level's at 10. There be moments in your life where you'll feel like your trust level's at 5. Or 1. Because you go through some things, you go through, you walk through some circumstances in your life, and all of a sudden things are crushing you, and you're sitting there wondering, what is going on? Can I trust God? Look, you can trust him. You may not like where you are at the moment. You may not like what the the road is taking you. You may not understand all that you're in the middle of, but I'm telling you, trust him today because he's going to get you to where he wants you to go. He's going to walk you through whatever it is that you're walking through. He's going to help you through it, just like he did Elijah. Do you think Elijah liked every moment of his life? No, we know that for a fact. He doesn't like it. There's times where he doesn't like his life. He doesn't like being pursued. There's times we're not going to like things that we're going to experience. Trust him. When you find yourself in those places, when you find yourself in this place where you're struggling to trust God, it's in those moments that most of all, you need to take this time and you need to, to, to worship God. You need to celebrate who He is. You need to remind yourself of His character, of His greatness, of His goodness. you got to go back to who He is, what He's done. You have to understand those things. Because that's what's going to help you through those moments.
1: What's your level of trust in God? What's your level of obedience to God? One final question. What potential miracle do you need God to do?
0: What potential miracle do you need God to do? See, This is a message of miracles. Elijah's life, as you're going to see it, is, is some incredible miracles done over and over in the lives of the people around him. Now, most of them are to display God's power to people who are not listening, but then to display God's power to those who are listening as well. Here's a a widow in Zarephath. You know, you know that she, she understood God's power. Now, she questions a few verses later. She's like, how could you do this, and how could you save my son, and now let him die? You can read the story.
1: But she's trusting
0: you have to as well. If you walked in here this morning and you need God to do something miraculous in your life, I'm suggesting that you ask Him today. I'm suggesting you ask Him for the miracle. Look, we're going to pray with you. We're going to agree with you. It's His problem. He's the miracle man. None of us are. We're just going to agree our faith with yours. And we're just going to pray and believe that God will touch your situation. And I believe the God of the miraculous
1: wants to answer prayer this morning. Because that's who he is.
0: Will you trust him? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. In the midst of our lives, in the midst of the journey that we're on, and God, I pray that in the midst of all kinds of circumstances, Lord, that we would trust you. Lord, that we would be obedient to you. That we would make sure that you're first place in our lives. We're not serving a bunch of other stuff. But we're serving God. The one true God. Not some false made-up one. God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God who sent his son Jesus to a cross. That we might have forgiveness. That we might have life. Lord, thank you. And Lord, now we're calling to you. This morning, the God of the miraculous. To answer prayer. I don't know what people are going through. I don't know what the needs are. But Lord, you do. We're simply saying, Lord, would you move on behalf of your people? Would you do miracles? And Lord, for those that walked in here, and, and Lord, they're, 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 their trust is not high. Their, their obedience is not high. Their, putting you first isn't real high. God, I'm praying that all those things placed at your feet for your help Lord, If there's somebody in this room that they walked in they don't trust you at all God I pray that today they begin a moment begin a time a, a journey of their life where they're gonna trust you they're gonna start at a 10, but they're gonna start they're gonna they're gonna start to trust you they're just gonna come to you and say Jesus I'm asking you to help me I'm trusting you with my life Lord would you do that today Jesus' name.